What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning in. God bless. Welcome back to Through the Book. I thank you for joining us today. I hope you've caught the last two episodes. If not, go ahead and go back and check those out as well. We've been going through the book of Mark here on Through the Book. And like I've talked about over the past couple of episodes, the whole point I had behind through the book and the idea that God had given me for this was a chance for me to have Bible study with you, whoever's listening, a chance to actually break down each book that we go over in its context. That's why it's called Through the Book. Whichever book we're going over at that time, we want to get to the context of what the original author had in mind when he wrote that book. On today's episode, this will be episode 3, we're going to finish up chapter 1 of Mark, and we're going to be looking at verses 29 through 45. So we've got a lot to cover today, so I want to go ahead and get started right away to get going so that we can make sure we get through all of it within a reasonable time. Starting there in verse 29 of Mark chapter 1, it says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. I want to stop right there for just a second and kind of back it up to kind of where we left off last time. If you remember last time, Jesus rebuked the impure spirit from the man and cast him out. But remember, all that was happening on the Sabbath. And in the Jewish tradition, the Sabbath ends at night, or ends in the evening time. So I want you to watch what happens here in just a moment. Once all this miracle and stuff begins to take place, I want you to kind of pay attention to what's going on and understand that we're still in the Sabbath here. Jesus has just cast out the impure spirit. Everybody's talking about him. They're telling the region about him. And... It's still on the Sabbath day. That's an important thought to remember as we continue here. But when they left the synagogues, remember Jesus went to the synagogue to teach. And that's where he cast out the devil from the last man. So he was in the synagogue. He was teaching. So he went out of the synagogue. And when he left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So now we're getting into the home of Simon, later called Peter. His mother-in-law is what's going on here is that she's got a fever. Now you got to understand something as you read this particular part of the passage, that in Jesus' day or in Jesus' time, a fever was set apart as its own thing. It wasn't like a result of a disease. A fever was an illness in and of itself. And it was also believed in the customs and things they believed back then that a fever only came on supernaturally. So it was something that you had done to offend God and he was punishing you, not simply the symptom of a disease. Today we know that with our technology and stuff today, we know that if you've got a fever, generally there's an infection somewhere in your body or there's something going on that's causing that fever. But back in the day, fever was its own thing. They didn't know about all that, but fever was its own thing. If you go back to Leviticus 26.16, you go to Deuteronomy 28.22, when God's handing out the laws, that's where they come up with the theological significance there, that fever was a punishment sent by God to those who violated the covenant. And we're not going to go back and discuss those 
but you've got them now, so if you want to check them out, that's Leviticus 26, 16, Deuteronomy 28, 22. Go back and check those out in your own time. So fever was a chastisement that could only be cured by an intervention of God. They thought that's the only way that someone could cure a fever is an intervention by God because they thought it was some sort of chastisement or some sort of punishment on that individual for something they had done wrong, which is kind of what they view many of the diseases and things back then, which we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So check it out. So his mother-in-law has a fever. So what did they do? They immediately told Jesus about her. Now, continuing there in verse 31, it says, So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So right there, as we finish that particular part up, Jesus goes in, he simply takes her by the hand, and she's healed. And he took her by the hand, and he helped her up, and then she began waiting on them. Or a translation there, better translated, she was serving them. So the fever left her. That is actually too mildly written there. The literal translation there of this fever left her is actually the fever forsook her. So it seems to be suggesting something supernatural was holding her down with this fever. Either demonic or a divine chastisement. So something supernatural had caused this, this fever that was on Peter's mother-in-law is the understanding, at least what seems to be being indicated here in the scripture. In essence, if you miss that, then you miss the whole thing of the miracle. It wasn't just that Jesus healed a woman from fever. It was that he tamed heavenly fire. Because when they thought of fever, it was a heavenly fire that came on someone as a punishment. And like we said a second ago, it could only be intervened by God. Jesus took her. He tamed a heavenly fire. Only God or God's agent could do such a thing. And at least that's the way it was looked at back then. So now Jesus is not, he's still showing himself as to who he truly is. He's saying, okay, I'm going to heal this lady of this fever because I can, because I'm God. And so Jesus took her by the hand, he helped her up, and she began to wait on them. And remember I said that that's better translated, that she was serving them. So this is an indication that she was fully recovered from this fever that had come over her, whether supernatural, whatever was causing that fever, it's been released. It's forsook her. This is a characteristic of discipleship. And what do I mean by that? A disciple is called to serve. So God heals. Check it out. The miracle reveals that God heals so that one may better serve. So now, now here's the part I want to kind of hit it with you just a minute. And I'm not trying to take away from the context of what's going on here. So don't take me wrong here. But do you know that God, when he heals someone, he'll do that so that you can better serve, so that you can better do something that he is trying to get you to accomplish. If you remember on the last show, we talked a little bit more about, a little bit about humility, which I've mentioned in other episodes, and that's just being who God has called you to be. Being that servant that God has called you to be. Exercising who you are. So he healed. This miracle reveals that he healed her so that she may better serve. It's kind of like a little bit of an indication there. So, but in this case, she got up, she served. And in this case, in this context, it's saying that, you know, this is proving that she was totally healed. And it's once again proving, like we've talked about with Mark in this book, John Mark here is trying to get aside the power and the authority of Jesus and his divine nature that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one that has the authority to do these things. So 
He's, that's another indication of what he's trying to get. He's exercising and showing Jesus' divine power. Let's go ahead and read on here. Now, this is where, a minute ago when I talked to you about remembering that this is still the Sabbath, I want you to pay attention here. Remember, the Sabbath ends in the evening. So check this out. In verse 32, it says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So right there, we're making an indication. People waited till the Sabbath was over. They waited till the evening time when the Sabbath was over, and then they showed up at the door. So if you kind of read over that, if you're like... Like, we, once again, we read this stuff with Western eyes, so we miss the context of what's going on there. But if you read into that, it's basically saying that the, the people did good, what they thought was good, and they waited until the end of the Sabbath. Then they brought all their people to be healed by Jesus. Because you got to remember, even though Jesus is the God of the Sabbath, which he'll get to later, he is demonstrating godly power. He's healing on the Sabbath. He just cast out demon on the Sabbath from a man who was in the synagogue. And it once again talks there about how Jesus, even when he drove out the demons, he, he silenced them. He wouldn't let them speak because they knew who he was. And we talked a little bit about that before because basically Jesus here, he's not about popularity. He's not the guy that's trying to earn a reputation built on the miracles and things he's going. So the people brought the sick people, the Sabbath was over, and... And they brought them all to Jesus. Now check this out. After this night of healing and things that Jesus had done that evening at the house, moving on there in verse 35, says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now I want to pause there for a second. I was just going to stop on verse 35, but let's go ahead and catch the whole thing here. Starting in verse 35 where it talks about very in the morning, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus goes to a solitary place. And the word there for solitary place is the same word that's translated desert in the instance that's in verse, uh, verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, and in the instance that's verses 12 through 13 of this chapter. So the voice cried in the wilderness, uh, that desert, that's the same word used as solitary place. And then when Jesus is tempted by the devil in verses 12 and 13, that word translated desert there is actually a solitary place. So it's basically getting across the idea that Jesus is in a solitary place. But I wanted to go ahead and point that out to you because... The solitary place, at least in Mark's gospel, at least what he's trying to get across in our context here, is where divine and satanic compete for life. They're battling odds against each other. This is the difference maker between true ministers, true servants of God, true disciples, and those just out there claiming something. If you are a true disciple of Christ, and I'm just going to pause here for just a moment to talk about this briefly, but if you are a true disciple of Christ then you have got to be in your word. You have got to be praying. That's not just a, a thing you do for the fun of it when you get time. That's something that's required of a disciple because it is how we cleanse our spirit to make ourselves ready to better serve God. Jesus went to a solitary place. He went early in the morning when it was still dark. No one knew he had left because the next verse tells us that Simon and his companions went to look for him. Now, when they're looking for him, 
That literally is translated, hunt him down. So they went on a manhunt to figure out where is Jesus, what, what's happened to him. But you got to remember, once again, when they show up to Jesus, they're kind of tempting Jesus again because they're not showing up to him to say everyone is looking for you, to tell him that, yeah, yeah, they're all looking for you. They're doing it for fame at this point. you got to remember, the disciples are still young. They're not even... They haven't even been with Jesus that long yet, so there's still people that are on board with the popularity. They want to be a part of something popular, something, be a part of the miracles and things that he's been doing. So the disciples, when they go looking for him, it's because they want to pull him back to the city so that he can, you know, get famous, help them get famous. They can kind of build on knowing, hey, I was here with him first. One of those things. It's kind of what we do in the Western world. But, you know, popularity in the Western world, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Popularity isn't what Jesus is after here. He's after getting across the good news. What is the good news? The good news, yeah, there's miracles and stuff going on, but the good news actually hasn't been completed yet because it also is Jesus dying on the cross, raising on the third day so that he can save souls. But that's the good news. Jesus isn't about the popularity. He's not about being this miracle worker that everybody runs to when they have a need. So what does he tell to them? Verse 38, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to a nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. He's stressing right there. This is why I'm here. It's not to perform all these miracles, but I'm here to teach the good news. I'm here to preach, to teach the truth about God. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So once again, Jesus is going to the synagogues. He's going to the holy places to teach, to Teach people just about what God's true love is all about. So they wanted him to go back because they wanted the popularity. But Jesus is like, that's not why I'm here. And he bluntly tells them that in that following verse. He said, that's, I'm here to preach. That's why I've come. So we need to go to somewhere else. Get away from this. Go somewhere else where we can preach, where we can teach the good news of God. Moving down there to verse 40. A man with leprosy, now remember, he's preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, we're going to talk more about this in a second, but it says, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, I'm going to stop right there for just a second because I want to talk about this for just a second. Once again, you've got to understand that Mark here has taken a moment to zero in on this leper. He's, he's zeroing in on something. So there's something he's trying to get across and a message here that he's trying to get across. Now, you've got to understand that when a man was declared leprous, the priest, all they could do was declare them leprous or declare them clean. So clean or unclean. That's what was the priest's job. They could only declare a person leprous. They couldn't heal them because the Jews believed that only God can heal. So the priest would declare them. So Israel believed only God could see, only God could heal. The priest would declare them clean or unclean, but they could not heal. That power was not there because they believed that only God was the true healer. So, but then it says there in verse 41 that Jesus is indignant. It's kind of an interesting way of translating because any other translation that I've looked at, I'll, I'll say that, I don't know all the translations out there, have always said that Jesus showed compassion on the man right here. But for some reason, the NIV here looks at the word indignant. 
he reached out his hand and he touched the man. So it's kind of getting across. There's an interesting textual variant here where it says Jesus is angry is what it seems to be saying. Instead of filled with compassion. Theologians look at that and they're like, okay, what is going on there? Why in the world would they translate that that way? But then, if they look down at the next few verses, which we're going to get to in just a second, this may be the original reading since Jesus is also said to, in one of the words translated, we better read it first and then we'll come back to it. We'll talk about this more in just a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself and you not know what I'm talking about. So verse 43 says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now let me come back to this thought. The NIV here is translating the word indignant instead of filled with compassion was an interesting thought that theologians looked at. Okay, well, what's going on here? Why in the world would they translate it that way? But then they looked down to that verse 43 where it says, Jesus sent him away. So basically, the words used there is a word for rage, as in Jesus got up and he sent him out and immediately cast him out, which is once uh, with a strong warning. He's saying, okay, Go, and then he gave them the warning. So the fact that Jesus seems to be the words used there, and you know, we don't go into all the words used there, but the words being used there indicate that if Jesus was indignant in that part that's translated above, whether he did show compassion, so that's not necessarily wrong either, but in most of the uh, concordance and stuff you read will translate that as compassion, but the NIV translated it indignant. If Jesus is angry, he may be expressing God's anger towards the disease. He's not necessarily mad at the man because that he has come to him and he's supposed to be unclean. Because, you know, Jesus is God. He ain't sweating it. He's going to heal him in a second anyway. But the fact that Jesus was angry or was indignant there or had compassion on the man is indicating that Jesus saw, and he did have compassion, that he was angry at the disease and the sickness that had come upon the man. So what Jesus does is he reaches out and says, I'm willing, and he touched him, and he said, be clean. And he was cleansed at that moment. Because Mark says, immediately, you got to appreciate Mark here. He always uses that word immediately a lot in his gospel because he wants to indicate that immediately a sudden power happened, and the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. But notice Jesus didn't just heal the man. He told the man to go back to the priest. But he said, don't tell this to anyone. We're going to talk about that more in a second. But go show yourself to the priest because in the Old Testament, when a person is showing a spot that's possibly unclean. They were told to leave the city for, you know, seven days or so, come back, and they check it again. But Jesus is trying to get him to still follow the law and go through the rituals that God has placed in the Old Testament. He's saying, go show yourself to the priest because the priests, once again, were the only ones that declared him clean or unclean according to the laws. And offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded your for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So once again, he's going to be testifying to the priest, but he's going to go show the priest that he's clean. They're going to declare him clean. Jesus doesn't have a doubt of that as you read that. And then he said, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. So Jesus didn't come to replace the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came here to show the law and to follow through with God's law and to teach us things. Let's read the last verse here because we're getting ready to wrap things up here. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. He's talking about the one that was just cleansed from leprosy. Spreading the news. 
As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So even though, so because of this man's testimony, because he was running around because he was so excited that he was healed, and he went out telling people, even though Jesus told him not to, remember, Jesus is telling him not to here, he commands him to be silent. And there are about five different reasons as I was studying through the commentary and things that I was looking at for this study that is given here as to why Jesus told the man to be silent. First of all, Jesus was not seeking fame. We've kind of covered that already when we've talked here just briefly. But Jesus isn't after the popularity. He doesn't care about what humans consider a reputation. He's not worried about that. He's here to fulfill a mission. Also, he knows that faith cannot be based on spectacles. In other words, you can't build your faith on spectacles. Your faith has got to be built in your study, your prayer time. Yeah, you can get healings, and we do believe in healings, especially even at Next Level Freedom Church. We believe God is still in the healing business. Thirdly, Jesus prefers not to have his teaching interrupted by those who seek miracles, because do you notice the last time this happened, when he cast out the demons and people went and spread the word, they waited till the end of the Sabbath, and then they bombarded the door. They were barging the door, and they were wanting Jesus to heal these people. Jesus is trying to get across the message. He doesn't want to have to continually spend his time healing people. Not that he doesn't want to, but he is here on a mission, and Jesus knows exactly who he is and the mission God has sent him here to accomplish. And that's another, the third reason that Jesus isn't wanting to be bombarded by these people because he's got a mission. He's trying to tell the people the good news of the gospel, what God's getting ready to do to make things better. Fourthly, Mark wants to show that any charges of insurrection against Jesus are false. Jesus is not trying to overthrow Roman rule or the government. Government, I'm sorry. Those accusations do come later, but that in Mark is trying, it seems that Mark is trying to indicate here that all those accusations that you had against him are false. He was not trying to overthrow the government. He told the people, be quiet, don't tell anybody about this, because he knew that the people's idea of Messiah at this time was that a man was going to come and he was going to come conquer and he was going to pull them out from under Roman rule, and he was going to, you know, basically be with his people and rule with his people. But that's not the kind of kingdom Jesus has come to establish. People don't understand that yet. We can look back and see that, but you've got to remember, the people going through this, this is a first-time thing for them. They, they don't know Jesus. He just kind of pops on the scene and starts doing all these things. So, and then fifthly, it just reveals that Jesus' power to heal cannot be hidden. The good news will spread to the ends of the earth regardless of how many men try to shut it up. Jesus' message will go forward because he is the Messiah. It reveals that he didn't tell him to tell people. The people are just going to tell. That's just the way people are. In human nature, if something good happens to us, we can't wait to tell other people about it. And you can relate to some situations like that in your life as well. So because of this, now Jesus can no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. But did you notice the last part there? It says, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. There was something about Jesus. There was something about the way he revealed himself to people that drew others to him. Yeah, there was miracles and things, but you gotta understand, even in today's society, if something like that happens, oh, it's gonna be popular for a few weeks, but then people are on to the next thing. They don't care. But people 
that are actually, the only way to actually change people is to reach them. Our vision statement at Next Level Freedom Church, reaching others where they're at. We've got to be able to reach people exactly where they're at. We're going to go over more examples of that as we continue to study the gospel here. But for today, I know I've went a little bit over than what I have on the other videos. I apologize, but I hope you've gotten something from this study. I was excited to bring it to you. God just continues to show me things as I do Bible study. Next time, we will be begin beginning Mark chapter 2. So I hope you will join me. But until then, this is Trenton Cruz saying God bless.